as we look forward to next month, a song that you might want to check out is a song called Gyra. That was our th- one of our theme songs for camp. Incredibly hard to sing song. It's not going to stop me from making you sing it, though. A lot of the young people, they fought their way through it. it took them about, the youngest crew sang it really good. The, the middle crew and the youngest crew sang it very well the very first time they tried it. The oldest kids, you know, they always have to let their guard down, let their barriers down a little bit before they'll sing enthusiastically. But by the, by the mid, mid to end of that camp, they had it down pretty well too. But our theme song for camp, our theme for camp this year was Jehovah Jireh or the Lord provides. As you think about the Lord providing, what a wonderful thing to consider as you're going through your life consistently mm. tempted to believe that you're missing out on things. And the truth is, on a human level, you might be. But not on a spiritual level, in the sense that God says that he will provide everything that we need, and that he says, effectively, this is the thing to wrap our minds around, I am all that you need. So if you already have me, and I'm all that you need, and and I'm all sufficient, then you have everything. And that's tough. That's tough, because oftentimes it doesn't feel that way. But the Lord provides, if you can get that in your mind and you can really believe that in the moments that you're going through, that will provide great comfort and peace as you just think about, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack, I lack nothing. And again, that's the, that's the struggle. That's where spiritual growth over time, that's why it's necessary. One, One other announcement, we, on the back, in this back hallway, there's a table with a bunch of duplicate books that we had in the library. And so if there's anything there that grabs your attention, go ahead and feel free to take a look at that. There's also some older audio tapes, yeah, a couple of CDs, a couple of VHSs, but not many. So if that's still the technology you're working on, then that might be a good fit for you to take a look back there. The idea being that we had quite a few duplicates, but more important than that, we're planning on putting senior high Sunday school in there, so we're thinning down the library. There's still going to be some book sharing taking place there. The other consideration is that while it's been great to have people donate books, we, don't poss- we can't possibly have the time to read them all. And so if we're going to put them on display in our church and offer them for you to check out, in some sense, we would prefer to have some sense of who these pe- what these books are, what they say, what they're about. And so while we're glad you're dropping off books, if they're not by names of people that we recognize, how would we know, you know what they're all about? And that's something that guarding sound doctrine is, is something, that, especially when they're theological books or they have theological information in them. Um, and so just, just know that it's something that on one hand we want to have as a resource, that's available, it's been useful, it's been, a, it's been a good resource, and we want to keep it in some fashion, but just be aware that that's kind of what we're doing, trying to sift through it and, and decide. And again, that doesn't mean all of a sudden we're going to be able to read them all, but at least get somebody who can sign off on saying, yeah, uh, I've known you for a while, you read this book, and you said, yeah, we, we shouldn't be embarrassed to have this in our, in our church. And so we're thinning through that just as a, as a side thing. Senior high... That's going to, of course, be 
10th through 12th grade, 7th through 9th is, is what we consider our junior high, so it's, it's 10th through 12th, you're going to have, they're going to have the second and third Sundays to start out with, depending on how it goes, depending on the attendance, depending on what kind of engagement they're getting there, how useful it's seeming, then we might, in, we might enhance that a little bit. It'll never include the first Sunday of the month, at least not, that's not the current plan, but we could potentially go further than these two Sundays, but we're just going to get our way into that. It's hard to know. Uh, some of you some of you wonder, well, why didn't we have it for a while? Why are we trying it again now? It's because there's, no, there's nothing that's perfect. What we do notice is that the vast majority of our teenagers that graduate from high school, the vast majority of them are never to be seen again, at least not in the short term. So there doesn't seem to be an effective way of transitioning our teenagers into a part of the church body. The vast majority of them just don't have an interest in it by the time they graduate. And we're thankful for the ones that do. We're thankful for the ones that don't in the sense that we're still, we still love them. We pray for them. We wish that they would have an interest in being a bigger part of the church family, but that hasn't historically been the case. This isn't a new phenomenon. This has been going on for a long time. And eventually, some portion of them, and, and you may be one of them, uh, I was one of them to some extent, and they find their way back and praise the Lord. God never gives up on us. But our thought with not having senior high Sunday school is you don't get to be a part of a congregation or feel like you're a part of a church family if you're never a part of it. If you're always segregated off in a Sunday school classroom, how do you ever get to a place where you're plugged in and you feel like you're a part of what the church as a body is doing? Your entire childhood is marked by other people ministering to you and something you can be praying for as a congregation is I don't know how effective we've been at teaching young people about how there's a symbiotic relationship in, in the church as God designed it. One is to be ministered to and built up and edified and encouraged. The other is to be encouraging to others, to be ministering to others, to be investing in others. And that's a tough transition to make mentally when, when that hasn't necessarily been the case as far as how things were set up. So be prayerful about that. If you have thoughts or ideas, you can certainly share them with me. So we tried for a while thinking that if for a couple of years leading up to graduation, they could just be a regular part of the church, you know, a regular part of the worship service, a regular part of the messages. They could feel what it feels like to kind of be a part of an active part of an adult as an adult to make that transition and be a part of the church. Well, um, we haven't really noticed any dramatic difference. And so there's some downsides to not having senior high Sunday school too. And we knew that all along. And the downside is just that you're not getting to tailor content to their specific age and specifically what they're going through. And so we're going to call this a hybrid model. <laughs> so, so now we're going we're gonna to try it two Sundays a month, so roughly 50% of the time. And just be prayerful about all that. Pray that young people would respond that our teachers would be encouraged by having even the opportunity to share God's truth with them in that setting, and that it would, it would change lives, that it would have an impact on everyone's thinking that's involved in it. So that was long-winded, didn't mean to get into all that, but that'll save me from talking to a bunch of you. There, that, those, are, that, those are the reasons. There's no perfect solution there. All right. I think that's it. Let's have a word of prayer and let's dive into our message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you that you're a loving God. 
that you're a faithful God, that you're a loyal God, that you're a sovereign God. Also, even that you're a righteous God and that your righteousness was such that you wouldn't just ignore or overlook sin and your justice also, but that in your holiness, righteousness, and justice, you decided, though, that you had to make a way for sinners to be reconciled to you and that you wanted us to be reconciled to you, that you had enough concern for us that you didn't want to leave us estranged, desperate, and hopeless, looking forward to an eternity spent separate from you in the lake of fire. Thank you that you loved us so much that you saw us in our time of need, choices that we had made individually that you had not wanted for us, but in your grace you had decided to make us as volitional beings with a free choice and that you allowed us to make those choices as much as it pained you and then in your love you wanted to find a way to remedy that or to provide a solution to that estrangement that was caused by our sin. Thank you that you were willing to sacrifice everything in the form of your only begotten Son and send Jesus to earth to become a man while still being fully God, but to die in the place of sinners like each and every one of us. Thank you that you demonstrated that love in such a profound way. pray that we would see how remarkable that sacrifice was, how you had literally bankrupt heaven in a sense to make that salvation available to each one of us who were dead in trespasses and sins, and we're not seeking after you. Pray that we would see that your love on display would change our thinking. Pray that it would captivate us so that we would want to put all of our trust in your finished work on our behalf as you died. We're we're buried and rose again for us to make a way where there otherwise had been no way. And pray that we would live then as a part of your family the exact same way that we got saved, that we would live by faith, trusting and depending on you to provide for us what we could never provide for ourselves. Pray that we would grow in our faith, that we wouldn't just stay immature in our faith, but that the quality of our faith would increase over time. It would strengthen. It would, we would have a greater level even of conviction about who you are, what your character is, what you've done, what your plan is for our lives, but that we would grow, we would mature in our faith. Pray that you would help us to see that that's your plan for us, that we could grow and mature in a way that we could be more and more useful to you. We would be better and better equipped to accomplish the mission that you've given us to be light in the midst of the darkness that's pervasive all around us. Pray that we would take those matters to heart, that we'd be prayerful about those things, that we would allow your spirit to make the necessary changes in our thinking so that you could then make the necessary changes in our lives. But pray that we would have a desire for that. And that if we don't, that you would convince us that to grow in grace, to grow in understanding, to grow in faith would be worthwhile. Pray that you would convince us through your truth as we know your word is true. Pray for the Sunday school teachers and myself that what we teach would be accurate and clear. Pray that this church as a whole could collectively be a bright light in this community, that many people would come to know you because of the willingness of people to be used by you and have your light shine through us. Pray that we could do that in, with unity, that we would strive together for the furtherance of the gospel, we would keep the, the main things the main things, and that we would minister to each other in a loving and gracious way. Pray that you'd give us forgiveness and help us to mend the relationships that have been strained. Help us to do that through the power of your spirit working inside of us and not through our own strength. Thank you for your goodness for this building, even for the successful work day yesterday and all the many hands that invested in, in that work day. Just thank you for each and every one of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see from the
screen here this morning, the title of this morning's sermon is Faith That Grows. Faith That Grows. And as I thought about growing, the first thing that came to my mind was the idea that growth or growing, it's a part of maturing. It's a natural part of getting older. And as you think about growth, there are many aspects to maturing in the physical realm. Many aspects to maturing or growing. And some of them are just obvious, like you're growing bigger. Sometimes that means taller. Sometimes that means wider. Sometimes that means thicker. Sometimes a natural part of that physical growth is that you're growing stronger though, right? There, have you ever seen a young person trying to carry something that's just too heavy for them? And fast forward a year, fast forward in some cases with young people the way they grow, fast forward six months, next thing you know they're picking that right up. And it's kind of one of these scenarios where you get stronger and stronger and stronger and then, you know, it kind of goes downhill to some extent. There are things I used to be able to carry that even at 44 years old I can't carry anymore or can't carry without being injured anymore, I should say. But you get stronger. Kids grow stronger. Their endurance increases. You can go for longer walks. They can pedal their bike a little bit farther. They can help out with more things. They're more independent. They're more self-sufficient, so they grow in that way. Other things, as you think about growing, you're naturally you're just growing older, and the years are ticking off. That's a natural part of the physical realm. You think about growth, though, another common aspect of growth is that people grow in their understanding. They grow in their knowledge. They understand things that when they were children they didn't understand. Complex things become less complex as you get older. You understand more things about why things are happening, and you learn even things about interpersonal dynamics. You learn things about just common norms or, or, or social norms. You, things, you learn things that are appropriate and things that are inappropriate. You develop those things as you grow older. Other things is you grow in experience. You have more life experiences. You've tried more things, done more things. So your bank of life experiences grows. You grow emotionally. So you're a little bit ab- better able to handle your emotions to a point, right? And so a child, when they're upset, very often can't control their emotions. That, that consumes them. And so you've seen oftentimes a child who is real young, who hasn't, they're, they're being taught how to have some self-control, how to control their emotions, and they're just letting loose, right? And the parent is trying to guide them and teach them so that they can grow up and mature a little bit so that they have a little bit better control of their emotions. But you, you grow in your emotionally. You grow personally in the sense that you develop at your unique personal characteristics and they develop over time. Sometimes you have financial growth where you learn how to manage money. You learn how to do things. Very often, a child, if they haven't had any context, they have no comprehension, right, about what money is or what it's worth or the value that it has. And you see that all the time around here, even at the church. I'm sure you see this as parents at your home. But you see it in the evidences in all the things that are left behind, right? If a child had a comprehension of what went into purchasing those things, they'd take better care of their items, right? My wife and I used to often joke as our children would leave things behind. We'd say, oh, don't, yeah, don't worry about that. We were just going to replace that anyway. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not actually advocating for regular sarcasm as a parenting approach, but <laughs> sometimes you t- tease them a little bit, right? And if, if you were at camp, you'll notice that this is, missed this, good reminder. There's a table in the fellowship hall filled with the kinds of items that your kids don't care about, but which cost you money. And those items are generally socks. No, we throw those away. Underwear, no, we throw those away. Socks and underwear are the na- main things left behind at camp, by the way. Just f- food for thought. Towels, though. Lots of towels and sweatshirts, sometimes swimsuits. I know there's at least one pair of shoes. So if you're missing some of those items, they might be on the back table. Sadly, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Bibles are left behind pretty often, too. You know what is not very often left behind? The things that the kids value the most. They're not that likely to leave behind their favorite treasures. But the things that are necessary, like a sweatshirt, but they're not important, they'll leave that behind because they don't understand money. So they, they learn about finances. They also learn about or grow relationally. They learn to develop friendships. They learn what it means to have uh, closeness to other individuals. They already had that generally with their immediate family, but they learn that about other people. They learn how to relate to people in authority. They learn how to relate to teachers and policemen and people that they might come into contact with. Hopefully not too many policemen. (laughs) But they learn to relate to other people. And so there's a lot of areas that a person naturally, you start out really small. You, You start out as an infant. You don't have any of this growth. You don't have any of this development. But then that development takes place over time to the point where you are today. Now, God wants his children to experience spiritual growth too. And that's a thing that I think we don't maybe think about as often as we should. I know that I don't. It's something that we perhaps don't pray about as often as we should. I know at times that I don't. God wants that to be true, that we would have a place of spiritual birth where we're born again into God's family by having that new birth that occurs through that a decision to put all of our trust completely in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we put our faith in what Jesus accomplished for us on Calvary as he died as our complete substitute and paid the debt that we owed for our sin, as we trust that and bank on that and put our confidence in that, the Bible says that the moment we do that and receive that gift of eternal life that God is offering, that that moment our citizenship changes from being a citizen, citizen of earth to a citizen of heaven, our Status changes from being in Adam to now being in Christ as we're adopted into God's family. And as John chapter 3 says, we're born again. You're born into the family of God. You have to have that spiritual birth. Now, how many times does a birth occur? A physical birth occurred one time. A spiritual birth occurs one time. You don't continuously get born again and again and again and again. You're either born or you weren't born. Now, once you are born, again, through a singular decision to let go of everything else you were trusting in. Remember, it's faith alone in Christ alone. It's grace alone, but it's also not of works. You can't contribute to it. And we call it scandal. Some people refer to it as scandalous grace in the sense that people cannot wrap their mind around grace. Grace means that it has to be freely given with no strings attached. 
I was talking to a group when I was doing church services at the nursing home on Thursday, two, two different nursing homes, but one group, I was talking to them, and I could see as I was going through 1 John chapter 5 and talking to them about how they could fall asleep that evening knowing that they would go to heaven when they died. And I could see the skepticism on some of their faces. And I explained it to them. I explained grace to them. And I said, if it's grace... Some of you I know are asking, what's to prevent me from abusing it, taking advantage of it? If, if there's no strings attached whatsoever, I just have to accept the gift that God offers, what's to prevent me from abusing it? And a few of them nodded. And so I explained it just like the Apostle Paul explained it. Why would we who have been freed from bondage to sin continue in it any longer? Should we use the grace of God as an occasion for our flesh? Just because we're sin abounded, grace abounded more, should we abuse God's grace just because we could? And he says what? God forbid with an exclamation point. He says the spirit of life and godliness has given me freedom over the law of sin and death. Why would we continue in sin any longer? But could we? See, that's the tricky part for those older people who are stuck in their, in their ways. The tricky part is you have to, it has to be possible or it isn't grace anymore. It's possible, but anyone who understands the depth of Christ's love for them, the extent of Christ's sacrifice for them, why would that person want to continue? The person who understands the abundant life that God has made available to them, why would that person want to? to continue in sin. The person who understands that God has a purpose and a plan for their life, that God has created them not for a a purpose, not just to serve themselves, but to serve the one who loved them and gave himself for them. The person who understands that, why would they want to continue doing their own thing? But you know what? The people who struggle with that don't have to look too far to find somebody who's been prone to do that. You just have to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. Like that that person who's struggling with that never sees themselves as the person that's been doing that very thing. It's like the people who talk about why can't God get rid of evil? Because he'd have to get rid of you. That's why. You, you, You always think about trying to track down and identify and name evil. You're a part of it. Your sin nature is still seeking his own thing. When you're not walking by means of the Spirit of God, when you're not plugged into the vine, when you're not being fed by God's Word and you're not meditating on the things of faith, you are walking in the flesh. Nothing that is produced by the flesh could ever bring God any glory. By God's definition of evil, evil being anything that's opposed to Him, that is the definition of evil. But you know, when we're thinking about eradicating evil, we're always somehow giving ourselves a pass on that. And so in any event, you think about the grace of God. You think about how God wants us to grow. I explained that to them in the nursing home. And I said, isn't it wonderful though to fall asleep at night having put your confidence exclusively in what God has done for you instead of putting your confidence in something that you were supposed to finish, something you were supposed to complete, something you were supposed to preserve. 
I said, hasn't your life been marked by enough incomplete projects and enough failure that you'd never want to put your confidence in yourself? You know, pray for those individuals. It's a good ministry. Unfortunately, there's a rotation. I say unfortunately, there's a rotation of many different speakers that are going to speak to them and I get to speak to them probably once every three months. And I don't know, I'm not making any judgments about the rest of the speakers. I just know from my experience with people in other that have come across who identify as Christians that a lot of them don't even understand the gospel. And so if, that's, if that general, generalized experience in relation to other, Christ, other professing Christians that I've met carries over to these speakers, unfortunately, next week they might not hear the same thing. But be praying for them because they're, they're as close to, they're, they're literally standing on the threshold of eternity, Right? You're not there because your health is really good. You're not there because things are going really well and you have a lot of life in front of you that you're expecting to live. And sometimes, sadly, the ones that were there last time aren't there the next time. So just be be even praying for that ministry and for those individuals. God wants you to grow. That's the point of this message. I don't even know how I got on that. Faith that grows. That's what we're talking about. God wants you to grow spiritually. He doesn't want you just to grow bigger. He doesn't want you just to grow older. He wants you to grow spiritually. So let's take a look at Paul's prayer here. In this installment this morning in Second Thessalonians, we're going to see that he's thanking God, but he's thanking God primarily for the fact that these believers are growing in their faith. And then he gives one other thing that he's thankful for that is just evidence of the fact that they're maturing in their faith. So let's take a closer look. Second Thessalonians 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4 this morning. Second Thessalonians 1, 3 and 4. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting... Because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And that's what we're going to tackle, Lord willing, here this morning. But starting with verse 3 here, this is the heart of it. And I guess I lost the slide, but verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. And so that's the part we want to look at first. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. Now, as we look about at this, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but you see that we again there? We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. I just want to remind you again that it just indicates that Paul is praying, and here he's praying, and he often prays collectively with his whole mission team. He, he commonly, in these prayers that we've been looking at, doesn't use the singular sense to refer to just himself. He uses a plural sense to refer to the group of people that he's ministering with. Now, that should be encouraging, that the Apostle Paul is being an example for us that as we think about prayer, as we think about praying for other people, that we and this includes Silvanus, I think is how his name is said, and Timothy in this, in this particular case. But they're working together as a mission team and he's saying we 
are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. And then he says, as is fitting. So he's praying collectively with other people and sometimes we don't do that. We don't think to do that. Now, I would say that's pretty important as we can share and bring needs to other people and involve them and include them in the things that are concerning to us. How would they know that? You could tell them, I guess, but the easiest way would be just to pray with them. They would hear the things that you're concerned about. Then they'd be able to take those things and potentially pray for them themselves. Now, also consider our prayer list. You know, we, we have various prayer requests that we send out even on a prayer list here through email. If you're not on that list, let me know. Just send me a text or an email with your email and I'll add you to the group. The group. It's an email group. But there's lots of things to be praying for. But he's praying here corporately with these other people that he's traveling with. The other thing to be reminded of, and as I brought it up before, but I think some people have this misperception about the Apostle Paul that he's just kind of doing his own thing independent of a collective body. He's not really functioning as a part of a local church. That's not true. Although Paul was an apostle who was given a mission directly from God, he was still originally sent out by a church, the church in Antioch. He reported back to that church at the end of his mission trips. You can read about that in Acts chapter 13, I believe, where he comes back with Barnabas. And he's always operating as part of a larger mission team. Now, maybe not always. Maybe if you search, you could find some example where somehow he's temporarily by himself. But even when he's on house arrest, he has access and he has people coming coming to be with him and ministering with him. He's sending people out on missions. He's writing these letters and he's having them deliver them. And so he's not functioning on his own. And, you know, for too many believers, they get to the point where they think that's, that's un, it's unnecessary for me to be a part of a collective body, to function as part of a body as God intended. And the truth is there's no biblical model that would, would show you that. The biblical model, the biblical exhortation is to be a part of a body of believers that is functioning together corporately. Now, everyone then does their part and comes together collectively in a way where we are much stronger together. Because you have many talents and abilities, you have, many, you have many gifts that I don't have. And I may have some that you don't have. But together, we're better, to, we're better together, I guess, is the takeaway. Now, we have this phrase, bound to give, bound to thank God always for you. Now, this word bound, it indicates that there's no other choice or alternative. There's no other choice or alternative. Now, that's not literal. He's, he's using figurative language here. But the idea is, how could we not do this? How could we not thank God for you? How could we not always thank God for you? Or another way is, we can't help but do this. See, if you're walking by means of the Spirit, if your focus is on Jesus Christ, if you're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, if you're occupied with Jesus Christ, you have a heavenward mentality and a heavenward focus. And, and God's Spirit is working and directing in your life. It's inescapable then that you're going to have this thankfulness and this gratitude and this interest and this concern for fellow believers. So the, the idea here is not that I'm, God is twisting my arm and he's making me do this. You know, or God is, is, God is saying, I'm going to keep zapping you with this electrical current until you get this out of the way. It's, the idea is how could we not... As we, as we think about how big God is, how wonderful he is, how awesome he is, and how he's moving in people's lives, and how we, how we see that in your life, people that we care about, people that we love about, how can we not thank God for that? So that's the idea. 
very encouraging. How could we not do this? Now, thank God, it acknowledges two things. One, that God is worthy of being thanked. But it first acknowledges that God alone is ultimately responsible for any spiritual success in the lives of his children. God alone is ultimately responsible for any spiritual success in the lives of his children. Just remember that if you're ministering to people. Remember that if you're investing in people. Remember that if you're sharing the gospel with people. In a sense, God could use you as a vehicle for his light to shine into the darkness. He wants to use you. But in the, in the same way a conduit is being used, who's worked with conduit? There's nothing flashy about conduit. You're literally, it's literally just the vehicle that the electricity is being pushed through. And so he wants to use you in that way as an instrument, as, frankly, a crude instrument. But he wants to, he wants to use you. So when you find that people are responding, don't let it go to your head. Don't think, wow, I'm just on fire now. Just think, what an awesome God you are that you could use a wretch like me to accomplish your purposes when I'm willing, when I'm letting you work in my life. Thank you, God. Thank you for using me and thank you for the results that you're bringing about in the lives of other people. So there's several, well, I'm not going to get into it. There's several phrases you could think about that people commonly use that, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. I'm sorry if this offends you. Um, and, and it's not meant to be hypercritical. It's just meant, it's just food for thought. I led so-and-so to the Lord. I led so-and-so to, so to the Lord. Mm. Depending on how you take that, and I know what you mean by it, and I know, I know there's not pride in it, and I know it's not intended to be taken that way, but sometimes how it sounds, it puts more emphasis on you than there really should be. You know, it, it's, I was blessed. I, I had the opportunity to share the truth of Jesus Christ with somebody. It seemed like they responded. It seemed like God was working in that circumstance and that God was, had undertaken to make, they were open, they were interested in any event, it's a common phrase. Like, again, I'm not trying to take something that's, that's been a traditional phrase and all of a sudden you're going around going, oh, I said that thing again. Pastor talked about it. I'm just saying, you're, you are a vehicle that God is using. All of the glory, all of the credit ultimately goes to Him. Now, the other thing to take away is that this heart of gratitude naturally flows from seeing God working, providing, and undertaking in your life and the lives of others. As you see God working, this should naturally be the byproduct is that you would want to thank Him. Now, thanking Him for what? Well, in this instance, you could be thanking Him for seeing Him undertaking and working and, and producing fruit even in your life. But in this instance, Paul is focused on others as he more, most often has been in his prayers here. Now, these are just his recorded prayers. He maybe had lots, not maybe, he definitely, it'd be impossible to, to not believe that Paul had tons of prayers about his own needs and his own, his own growth and his own obstacles and his own battles and his own struggles. And I'm sure he did. But the ones that he records that we've been looking at have been primarily focused on other people. And so as you think about that, as you're focused on other people and you have a heart for other people and you see God moving in 
their lives, then you should have this attitude of, I'm so thankful that God is doing that. And you see that with this for you, brethren. That's what we're talking about here is I'm thankful. I'm bound to thank God. How could I not thank God for seeing this spiritual growth in your lives, brethren? And there's many different things that a person could naturally feel compelled to thank God for. But Paul, he's focused here on the spiritual growth in the lives of these believers. There's lots of things when you think of I am bound, that word. How could I not thank God for? Now fill in the blank. There's lots of categories, right? How could I not thank him for just basic provision of food, shelter, clothing, uh, people that he's provided in my life? How could I not thank God for healing? How could I not thank him for wisdom that he's given me or direction that he's giving me? How could I not thank God for and continue to fill in the blank, right? We should naturally have that desire. But this category here is the people, the fellow siblings in God's family, which is meant by brethren there, that's what he's focusing on right here. I'm so thankful to God for you. And we touched on that previously. We'll go through a few reminders of some of these passages. But Paul discusses being thankful for fellow believers at least 12 times in the New Testament in his, in his letters. Now think of that. 12 different times that he talks about thanking God for fellow believers. That's quite a lot. And we've looked at several in this series already. I'm not going through all 12 here, but here's some of the ones we've looked at. We saw Romans 1.8 that said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that, then he goes into what he's specifically thankful for in terms of their spiritual growth in this instance. But I thank my God for you all. Then we saw in 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning you. We saw in Ephesians 1.16, He's talking about himself. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Another example of that. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you all. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, for what thanks can we render to God for you? Now these are just the ones that we've covered in passing. But Paul has this It's a continuing theme when you see things repeated over and over again. The question is, maybe I should take this to heart. So now we've seen it, well, that's one, six times. This is our seventh time now in this series. Has it sunk in yet? Have your prayers changed? Have you included this in your prayers lately? Have, have you been having a greater sense of thankfulness that God could have made it possible for you to have this big family of faith? Some of you were only children. Show of hands. Are, we have any only children here? Not one. <laughs> None of you are only children. Some people who aren't in this church are only children. <laughs> Some of you have siblings. I guess all of you have siblings. Some of you wish you were an only child. But in most instances, a person who is an only child actually is not generally thrilled about that. In the long run, in the short term, sometimes they are because it means they get to be the center of the tension a little bit more, which is what they crave anyway. But in the long run, that gets kind of lonely, right? And you kind of grow up and you don't have that support system that you could otherwise have. And you kind of feel like something's missing most of the time. I'm not saying that's been your life's experience. Generally, though, that's true. And God understood that. God understood that having siblings, having close relationships, people that you were bound to, 
that you, that you had this connection to, that they were critical for your well-being. He understood that as it related to your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, your relational well-being, but he understood that as it related to your spiritual well-being. And he made you a part of a collective body, a universally, of siblings. This big family where you have all these brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you see each other that way? Or are you just loose acquaintances that kind of bump into each other once in a while, rub elbows a little bit, but you don't actually see each other as a part of one big gigantic family? Now some of you, maybe you've been hurt by family. Maybe on a spiritual level, even this family somebody in the family, maybe multiple people in the family, maybe not all of your siblings have been great. Maybe not all of them have been thoughtful and kind. Maybe not all of them have been helpful or friendly. But they're still your family. You know, as the saying goes, you can't pick family. You can't pick family when it comes to the spiritual family. Anybody who decides to put their faith in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, that person now became your sibling, your faith sibling. And as you think about that and you look around, spend a minute, invest a little bit in growing those relationships. Enjoy the fact that you have family. Move past the parts of that that are undesirable and pray for the parts of that that are undesirable and be forgiving to the parts of that that are undesirable because that may be you too as it relates to someone else. So that's where compassion and graciousness and forgiveness come into the equation. But this should be a big happy family. It, if God is moving in each of our lives and we're letting God undertake in our, in our lives and God's Spirit is empowering our lives, that will be true of this family. It should be, and, and most often it is. Frankly, sometimes I actually feel bad about getting up here to preach because you're having so much fun talking to each other. There's, it's such a jubilant atmosphere sometimes. And, you know, it's like, man, they probably need that as much as they need this. So that's when there are opportunities to, to get some of that. Make it a priority. Not out of guilt and shame or because I just said that, but because God says it would be to your benefit. You would benefit from it. And anyway, we have this phrase, as it, it is fitting, and it just refers to things that are appropriate. Alternative translations are, and rightly so. We are bound to thank God how could we not thank God? We can't help but thank God always for you is one translation. We can't help but thank God always for you, how often always for you. And why wouldn't we? And rightly so. And why wouldn't we or rightly so? That's all it means by it, it is fitting. And why wouldn't we? Paul had every basis for rejoicing. He had two specific prayer requests he had expressed in his first letter to them and apparently they had come to fruition. Now, as we look at what were those first two, those two prayer requests that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians? Well, you can look in your own Bibles, but up on the screen here too, we have 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 3, 10. This is what he had wished. This is what he desired for them. He has every reason now to thank God. Why wouldn't he? Because apparently the things he had prayed for had come true. But here you have it, 1 Thessalonians 3.10, night and day, 
praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, when you see that perfect what is lacking in your faith, he's talking about we want to be used by God to help you to grow in areas in your faith that are not very mature. That's all he's talking about right there. We want to see you grow in these areas that you're struggling. That's my prayer for you, is that you would grow spiritually in these areas that you're struggling with and in this instance that God could even use me if he sees fit to be a part of that. That, I, that he could use me as a minister to you to invest in you because I care so much about you. Now what was the second request? In verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. And then he says, and to all, referring to even unbelievers, but to one another, to believers, and then to unbelievers alike. And he says, just as we do to you, meaning our love for you is growing too, we want your love for one another and the lost to be growing as well. Now those are two things that he expressed that, and there's lots he talked about in terms of spiritual growth in, in 1 Thessalonians, but this is verse 10 there is where he's kind of talking about some of these areas where they need to grow. But the point is, those are the things that he's been praying for. Now he's gotten word He's, he's seen that they have had the results or the changes or the growth that he was praying about. Now, he'd have no other choice but to do what? Since God was the source of this, God was the one who made it possible, I was bound to, how could we not, how can we help but thank God for you, brethren, and why wouldn't we? Now, he's going to confirm what, that what I just said is true because he says, because. Now, this indicates the specific reason for his thankfulness that he's expressing toward God. Now, there's two reasons that are given, and they correspond to these two things that are on the screen here from the first letter, verse 10 and verse 12. And so as we take a look at that, we see that because the first one is given now, your faith grows exceedingly. Remember, perfect what is lacking in your faith, and now the answer is your faith is growing exceedingly. And I just thank God for that. Now, your faith grows exceedingly. This is present tense. I, I don't get into that a lot, at least not lately, because, but, well, sometimes it just gets a little bit too detail-oriented. But as you think about the present tense, it indicates that this is action that's in progress. This is a present state of being on the part of these believers. It doesn't mean that it, your faith grew and then it stopped growing. He's saying right now I'm celebrating and I'm thanking God because your faith is continually, it's growing exceedingly right now. Spiritual growth is actively taking place in your lives and I'm thanking God for that. Now look at this word exceedingly. What a fun word. What a descriptive word. Your, your faith is growing exceedingly. It's growing more than was expected. The word itself describes this great increase in something or something that is flourishing abnormally, like a plant that is flourishing above and beyond the other ones nearby. Like, wow, look at the, look at the specific growth in this plant. It's thriving. It's, it's having this quality of flourishing where it, there's, it's obvious to everybody around, look at how this plant is flourishing. And he's saying, that's what's happening in your lives. It's, it's not just a normal amount of growth. It's this exceeding amount of growth where you're flourishing in an abnormal way. Now, flourishing in what? Well, in your faith. We're talking about that's the center of all of Paul's primary concerns as he's been praying for different believers in different places is that they would have spiritual growth. He's worried about, concerned about them growing in their faith. And faith refers primarily 
to a confidence in God, to a believer's confidence in God. So how much confidence do you have in your God? When Jesus says, well, ye of little faith, he's saying, you don't, you're not very confident in me. In this moment right now, you're not expressing, you're not demonstrating that you have much confidence in me. Because in the face of the storms that you're facing in your life, you're more focused on the storm than you are on me. You're not trusting me that I'm capable, that I'm able, that I can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you ask or think. You're not, you're not believing that in this moment. You might, you might believe it like as a general principle, but you're not believing that in this moment. And so Paul is talking about, I'm just celebrating that you're growing exceedingly in your faith, but faith just meaning your confidence in your God, a personal God, a real God, a relational God, a present God, a powerful God, an able God. You're growing in that level of confidence that you have. And as you think about him saying this, this is one of the actual primary passages about growing faith. There actually, there's a lot we're going to see here. I'll give you some illustrations of synonymous ideas. But there's not a lot of passages that specifically talk about growing faith. I'm saying faith specifically. Spiritual growth, yes, but faith growing. This is sort of the landmark passage on faith that is growing. And it can and should grow. That's the takeaway here. Your faith can and should grow. If you leave with nothing else this morning, it's that your faith can and should grow. God wants your faith to grow. He doesn't want to have you stay as a baby who never grows in their faith. He wants you to mature in your faith over time, which just simply means that your confidence level is growing in God. So it's just referring more to the quality of your faith than the quantity of your faith. He's not really talking about you're somehow building up a fat wallet of faith. You, you have faith, but now what's the quality of that faith? And as you think about the quality of your faith, your faith is growing because your understanding grows. Your confidence level grows. Your faith, your faith is getting stronger. It's being established. That's what it means to have faith that is growing. And it's synonymous, like I mentioned earlier, with spiritual growth in general. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. We're really talking about spiritual growth in general, but the core, the core aspect of spiritual growth is that you're growing in your confidence in your God. Your confidence level is growing in your God. Ephesians 4.15 says, I'll put it up here if you didn't have a Bible this morning. It says, but speaking the truth in love, he's saying he wants them to be doing that. He, but he says, may you, he's talking to a group of believers in Ephesus here, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. You're, you're growing up. You're, you're not just staying as a baby. You're growing into this intimacy with Christ. See who the focus of that growth is? The focus of that growth is Jesus Christ. You're being conformed into the image of Christ. You're wanting to model the example of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You are positionally placed in Christ. You're identified as being in Christ the moment you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross. He was buried and then he rose again, again, victorious over death in the grave. And as you think about growing then in that 
position that you have in Christ. You're just becoming more and more confident, convinced in your faith. That's the idea, but it all focuses and revolves around who you are in Christ. I have some other verses up here. Colossians 1.10. Same idea, God wants you to grow spiritually, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, meaning that that would be possible in exchange for our current situation, right? If our current situation is that we're not trusting the Lord with all our heart, we're not giving everything to the Lord, we're not all in in a sense where we're completely dependent on God to undertake and work in our life. We're not fully focused on Jesus Christ. We're captivated by other things, distracted by other things. Then in those moments, we're not fully pleasing to Him, though we can still do things in the moments that we're trusting Him. God can work in our lives to bring about changes and to use us in ways that would please Him, but we're not fully pleasing because we're not fully trusting Him. But he says this, being fruitful in every good work, and, and here's the phrase for growth, increasing. Same word for abundance that we'll see later, increasing in the knowledge of God. What's that talking about? Spiritual growth. Growing in your faith. There's lots of qualities to your faith, but your confidence in God is affected by how much you know about God. That's part of how you're growing. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, watch Stand fast in the faith, faith. Be brave, be strong. Is that language of spiritual immaturity? No, that's language of spiritual growth. That's language of confident faith, of faith that is strong, not faith that is weak. Let all that you do be done with love. A couple more passages, 2 Corinthians ten fifteen. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other man's labors, but having hope, Now here you have the second passage that you can find in the New Testament about specifically faith increasing. That as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Meaning we benefit from your growth. It's encouraging to us. It uplifts us. It's something that brings us great joy to see your faith increased. But there, there you again. Faith is intended to grow. It's intended to mature over time. Do you see that? 1 Peter 2.2, 2, you started out as newborn babes. But now he's saying, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. God wants us to grow spiritually. Why are we settling for spiritual immaturity? Why are we settling for fitting God in wherever it's convenient? Why are we settling for living life with God only in little bursts, only in little moments, but not having a true day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with God where we're experiencing that kind of intensity and closeness and intimacy, that was the word I was wanting, that God is wanting us to have with Him, which can only be experienced when we're near Him, We're we're drawing near to Him. He's already near to us. He lives inside of us. He's not forcing us, though, to be captivated, focused, fixed, and occupied with Him. We have to change our focus from other things that are captivating us, occupying us, distracting us is really the word. We have to get our focus off of those things and onto Him as we go with a vertical mindset and have a heavenly focus and have an eternal mindset. Not, not just on Sunday mornings, but as we go through our lives. 
where we're truly living life with God. We're praying our way through the day. We're talking to Him. We're singing songs to Him. Our life song is singing to Him and other people can see His light radiating out from, from us instead of they see nothing whatsoever different about us. They can't. Our, our hope is completely hidden. So far as they know, unless they happen to go to the same church as us, they won't even know we're, ch- we're Christians. Pastor Leonard referred to that as secret agent Christians. Yeah, I love the Lord. Just don't tell anybody that. Jesus is all the world to me, but not in certain places. Not around certain friends. I'd be, I'd, I'd be embarrassed because I know that they mock and ridicule, have no interest whatsoever in the things of faith. They're, I love the Lord and I want to proclaim Him except for when it's around my intellectual friends who think it's goofy. Grow. God wants us to grow in our faith. We see that in 2 Peter 3.18, our last verse, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to be conformed into the image of His Son. He doesn't want us to just try to stand still. There's no such thing as standing still. It's either moving forward in our faith, growing in our faith, or it's retrogressing. It's sliding backwards in our faith. There's no such thing as treading water. A principle that you have to understand in this message, it has to be a takeaway. You should think about this as you're thinking about prayer, but you cannot grow if you don't want to. You can't grow if you don't want to. And I wish that was true as far as growing thicker. You can do that accidentally, right? You can do that against your will to some extent. But you can't grow spiritually if you don't want to. Turn to Luke chapter 17. We're looking for verse 5. How many of you really wanted to hear about verse 4 this morning? Luke 17, verse 5. You have to want this. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. Help my unbelief, Lord. Increase my faith, Lord. Do you want this? If you don't want it, it's not going to happen. God's not going to force this on you. But if you want to grow, then you're going to have to have this prayerful attitude where you say, Lord, increase my faith. Help me to grow in my faith. Convince me of the things that would be useful toward that outcome. He's revealed the things that would be helpful to promoting that outcome. Fellowshipping with other believers, coming and hearing the teaching of the Word of God, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, praying without ceasing, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We have, we have been given a roadmap for how we could grow in our faith. So it starts with, do I even want to grow spiritually? If I do, pray about that. 
Lord, help me now to grow spiritually. If you don't, pray about that because you know that's not right. God, give me a heart that wants to grow. Now you want to grow. That's your mindset. You're prayerful about it. Now, God, help me to be convinced that the very things that you say will promote my spiritual growth would matter to me more than everything else. This isn't complicated. The other things have to be less important than the very things that God says will lead to you growing spiritually. How do you think this is going to turn out? It's like this marriage book someone recommended to me for marriage counseling. The title is, What Did You Expect? I haven't read it yet, but I mean, does that sum it up? What did you expect? You, you, you say you want this, but yet you're not, you're not appropriating or taking advantage of any of the things that God says will actually lead to that outcome. Come on. I mean, come on. This is basic math. This is, this is childlike things. Some of you young people here, you understand what I'm saying, right? You can't have this outcome if these are the steps that promote that and you're not doing them. It doesn't, life doesn't work that way. All right, then the second thing that he says is he's thankful for to God is the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Now that was the second thing he prayed for. He mentioned as his desire in 1 Thessalonians and now we see that's the second thing that's come to fruition. He thanks God for it. Not only were they developing their relationship with God, they were also growing in their relationships with each other. They were developing this love that they had for one another. And so as you think about that, we saw that was one of his prayers in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. That the Lord would make you to increase and abound in love to one another and apparently... That was happening. The love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Awesome. See, too often believers think of love as either being present or absent. But believers can also nurture their love and grow in their love for one another too. It's not this, you either have it or you don't have it. How strong is the depth of your love for your fellow believers? Well, it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty strong. Unless it involves making any time for them. It's not that strong. I mean, it's strong. I love them, but I don't want to be around them. Or, I love them, but I couldn't possibly pray for them. Or I, I love them, but the point is that how strong is, is that love? It's, it's one thing to have a passing love for somebody. It's another thing to have a sacrificial and selfless love for people the way that God has a sacrificial and selfless love for people. Now again, you don't produce this just because the pastor's been browbeating you about this over the pulpit. You pray about this so that God can produce his kind of love through his power source working in and through your life. So then we think about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is intended to benefit others. You're not, God doesn't want you to grow and mature in your faith for your own self-serving purposes. He wants you to grow in your faith so that you can be of benefit to other people. Growing faith cannot be separated from growing love towards the one another's that God has put in your life. And that's why these two things go together in Paul's prayer. See, the church, of Thess- the church in Thessalonica must have been a wonderful place to attend. And it probably wasn't always that way, but at least in this moment, Paul is praising them. He's thanking God for the progress that's happening because look at this language. He's saying the love of every one of you abounds. It increases. It exists in excess. That's what the word abound means. It exists in excess. The love of every one of you exists in excess. Wow. 
be pretty excited about coming here if the love of every one of us could ex- exist in excess as God is working and changing our thinking and then he changes our mindset as he changes our mindset he changes the way that we even interact with one another may this be true of this very local church may somebody be, be able to say that about us because the spirit of God is be, is given free reign to work in each of our lives so that this could be true of our church just like it was true of this church in Thessalonica. So the question is, are you even praying for spiritual growth? Are you praying for abounding love in the lives of fellow believers that you know? How about the ones you don't know? Are are these the kinds of things that you've ever thought about praying for? Please pray for this in my life. I need to grow. I need more love too. Are you praying about these things in your own life? Are you thanking God when you do see some spiritual growth or are you just starting to then pat yourself on the back? When you see some growth in your own life, is it, is it something that you just thank God for? When you see it in another believer's life, do you just thank God for that? How wonderful that is. And I know you do because I've, I've heard you over the years talk about, man, is it exciting to see so-and-so fired up for Jesus Christ again. Isn't it fun? To just watch the enthusiasm that you can see in their life as they're prioritizing the things of faith versus the things they had previously been fixated on. Now, verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now, we're not going to make a lot of this because we don't have a lot of time, but also because it's just a continuation of this thought. He's saying, I thank God that you've grown in your faith and that your love for one another has developed and it's abounding in excess. I'm so thankful to God for that. And as a result of that, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God, meaning your example and your testimony matters. Paul was holding up these believers as an encouragement to others, not in a way to puff them up, not in a way to say, aren't you guys wonderful because you've produced this in your own lives. He's thanking God that God had produced that in their lives and he's telling other believers about it as a way to encourage them. Hey, you should see this other church. God is really working in their lives. They're really trusting the Lord. Their faith is growing stronger. Their confidence in their God is thriving. And because of that, they're loving each other in a way that there's an excess amount of love in that church. There's so much of love in that church that it's spilling out the doorways when they open it up. He's telling other churches about that. How awesome. But he's saying that the other thing that we boast about to them is your patience and faith in the face of persecutions and tribulations that you're enduring. Now, patience refers to steadfastness and endurance. Almost every translation has one of those two words. Steadfastness and endurance. Your steadfastness and endurance, and again, faith meaning their confidence in God, that it is so strong in the face of these persecutions and tribulations that they're enduring. Now, consider this. This is kind of mind-blowing. This spiritual growth that is taking place in their church, where they're thriving in their faith, their confidence in their God is growing, and they have an abundance and excess of love for one another, it's occurring in the least ideal circumstances possible from a human perspective. I want you to, this is the second thing to take home. This growth is occurring in the least ideal possible circumstances from a human perspective. They are facing persecutions and tribulations 
This flourishing, remember that word, this flourishing spiritual growth, it's occurring in the context of great hardship. Do you want to grow spiritually? Sometimes that's going to mean it's going to happen in the hardest times in life. To pray or wish away hardships, trials, and suffering might be to pray or wish away opportunities for abnormally great spiritual growth. He says this is abnormally great. It's exceeding growth in your faith. So when we're wishing away those hardships, we're praying away those hardships, those trials and that suffering, maybe we're praying away the very thing that God wants to be using in our lives to promote the spiritual growth that we really need. Now ask yourselves, think about the times that you've really drawn more confident in your faith, where you've really trusted the Lord more, where you've really grown in your faith. Isn't it true that oftentimes you can connect that back to some of the hardest things you've gone through? Sadly, when the pressure let off, the circumstances alleviated a little bit, back to self-confidence, independence, instead of growing in our confidence in our God. So faith that grows. God wants his children to experience spiritual growth. I hope you get that from this morning's message. Naturally, a byproduct of that growth is that you're going to abound in love. So the question this morning to ask yourself as you leave is, is your faith Is your confidence in your God growing or has it been pretty stagnant? Is it actually slipping backwards? If it is, then pray about it. Just like Paul's praying. He had prayed about it in 1 Thessalonians. He's now thanking God for the results that were realized in 2 Thessalonians. Pray about it. God, increase my faith. I want to have that attitude of the disciples. Increase our faith, God. Help my unbelief. Make me stronger. Help me to trust you more. Give me more confidence in you, Lord. And then pray for that in the lives of the other people that you're supposed to love the way God loves them. Pray for that in my life. Pray for that in each other's lives. And then let's just stand back in in awe and watch God work. He's a miracle-working God. For some of us, that's obviously what it would take to change us. It'd have to be a miracle. It'd have to be God working to change our hard-headedness, our hard-heartedness. He'd have to change what hasn't changed for 30 years. But he can if we'll just have a mindset that is willing to let him make those changes. So instead of just growing older, instead of just growing wider, let's grow in our faith. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend together in your word. Thank you for each and every one of these believers. Thank you that they could be a part of this gathering here even this morning. Thank you for all of them. Thank you that we have this nice big family of faith that we can live life together. Pray that we would do it in a way where we're not just stagnant together, but we're growing together and that we have an excess amount of love in our midst. Pray that you would convince us to keep these things a matter of prayer, that we wouldn't try to produce this through our own strength, but we would trust you to make these changes in our lives and just have our focus on you more. Get our eyes on you. Take advantage of the formula. I hate to call it a formula, but the things that you say will promote our spiritual growth. Help us to prioritize those things so that we can experience that spiritual development that you want to be true in each and every one of us. Thank you again for your great love. Pray for safety at the youth event today. Pray that it would bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
As you can see on the screen, hymn number 487. Uh, would you like to stand up, please? not dismayed whatever be time God will take care of you beneath his wings of love abide God will take care of you God will take care of you through every day or all the way he take care of you. God will take care of you. All you may need, he will provide. God will take care of you. His word can never be denied. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Lean weary one upon his breast. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. 